0: I know that for all of us, life right now is not like we had anticipated it was going to be two months ago. I mean, there are seniors right now who were getting ready for their proms to have last week and that didn't happen. They they were planning to play their final games with their teams and that's not happening. They were planning graduation parties that like right now most likely won't happen. They're preparing to walk the halls for the final time or wondering if they were going to participate in senior skip day. In fact, every day now seems like senior skip day and they're ready to go back to school, right? And so everything seems different. I know today there are parents who are anticipating being in the waiting room for the birth of their first grandchild who now won't even be there and may not even get to see that grandchild for months. We we know there are people who are planning weddings who now can't have those weddings, and so either they're postponing them or maybe they're now planning very small, intimate ceremonies. There are families that were planning summer vacations that are now hoping just to get together at some point in time for a cookout. Workers who are expecting a promotion who now wonder, am I gonna even have a job or is my company still gonna be open in a few weeks? Everything in life has changed. I mean, that goes the same for the church here. We've had to change the way we're doing and what we're doing. Everything about what we've done in the last few weeks has changed. Months ago, we were planning that after Easter was over, we were going to come and we were going to start a series preaching to the families. We'd made those plans, but here's what we're reminded, but the Lord is the one who makes the final plans. Instead, we have to say, as James 5 says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. We believe planning is important, but we are never slaves to the plan, and if something else is called for, and since our circumstances have changed, we feel now is a time where we change what we were planning to do. And so here's what we're doing this morning. We're starting a series of messages through First Peter. And here's what we're gonna see. We're gonna see that God's word has much to say about our current circumstances. He probably will even speak to some of the family issues that may have arisen during this crisis when we're all gathered together so closely. And so, again, if you have your Bible, look at me in 1 Peter here, 1 Peter 1. Look at what it, how it starts. Just in verse 1, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, now the Peter who, we, who introduced himself here as the author of this letter was the apostle Peter. Therefore, if you know his story, you know that Peter not only personally had been with Jesus, but he had encountered the risen Jesus, including him being forgiven of his denial of Jesus. Just knowing that Peter, the author, should give this letter a matter of weight because of Peter's close connection with Jesus. The personal connection meant that Peter had firsthand knowledge of what Jesus taught and who Jesus was. That Peter had personally experienced the Lord's grace in a special way. But let me also remind you that when you look who Peter is, Peter is someone like you and me. He was someone that we can relate to. Peter was this man who had this tendency to be impulsive. He was a man at times that opened his mouth when he should have kept it shut because what came out was often the wrong thing. Peter is a person when we read about his life is someone who is like you and me. We can relate to him. But here is also something about Peter. Peter was a man who had experienced a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ that we all need to have. And so knowing his story makes us want to listen. Peter, what do you have to say as someone so close to Christ and someone who has had this experience with the Lord? So we're listening up. Peter, what are you going to say? So look at who Peter then writes to. He says, "...to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father." Peter calls the ones he's writing to the elect, which is a term that was used and is used for God's chosen people. It was first used in regards to the Jews, and now Peter applies these terms also to the church. He is writing this letter to believers. Now, notice, though, he qualifies these believers by noting that they are exiles. In other words, they are not in their homeland. They don't belong. They are another way to translate this as aliens or strangers. Now, some debate exactly what Peter meant by that term, but one thing that is agreed upon is in some sense is that the idea is that as Christians, we are strangers in this world, that ultimately this world is not our home. Our home is in heaven, and as long as we are in this world, we are strangers. We are exiles. We are longing for our heavenly home, and because of that, there is a way that every believer doesn't fit in this world. People in the world will always see us as a little strange because they don't understand our ways. I hope when I say this, though, you don't take it wrong. The world shouldn't think we're weird because we're some odd subculture in that way. That's not what we're talking about, but we're weird because of this. All right, Because of the way that we love, we love differently. We forgive more readily. We show mercy to those needing in a great capacity. We care for the needy like no other. Our desire to do right will far surpass our desire to advance our own cause. We are strangers in a different way, but let me say this, in a good way. We will always be that as long as we are on the earth. Believers are exiles. Now, for the believers in Peter's day, however, the term exile or strangers could have also had another meaning because notice it says they were the exiles of the dispersion. This term dispersion was used to describe Jewish believers who had been forced from Jerusalem due to persecution and found themselves in other lands. These believers are no doubt part of who Peter were writing to. And one thing I'm reminded of for these believers who were forced out of Jerusalem because of persecution was that their persecution aided the spread of Christianity. As these believers were forced to leave their homeland, they took the gospel of Jesus wherever they went. And so persecution that was meant to stop the church actually helped spread the good news because God is always at work. And I'll go ahead and add this. He's even at work in a pandemic that I believe could even help spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, persecution of some sort was part of what these believers were facing because as we go through this letter, we're gonna see where Peter makes reference to their suffering. But what we're going to see is that Peter, inspired by God, shows us how to live as believers even in trying times. Now, the first thing I want to note from, that we find here in the rest of verse two is this, is that God has a plan for every believer. And what I mean by this is that God has some things that he wants every believer to experience. If you look back at the end of verse two, we'll see what those things are. So look with me, it says, in sanctification of the Spirit, For obedience to Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Peter mentions here the sanctification of the spirit, which reminds a believer that it is the spirit of God that works in a believer and that spirit works to change us, for us to be holy, for God's glory. Sanctification is the idea that as a believer, we are set apart for the work of God. Now, in Kentucky these days, if I say the name Virginia, who do you think of, All right? Well, I think of my mom because her name is Virginia, right? But for most Kentuckians, who do they think of? They think of Virginia Moore, who has been doing the sign language interpretation for Governor Beshear's daily press conferences. She has been set aside for the purpose of interpreting the deaf and hearing impaired. It's what she does. Now, what if I mention the name Dr. Anthony Fauci? All right, I don't know if I said that exact right, but you know what I mean, right? His face and name are now recognized by most Americans when just weeks ago, nobody knew him. Now, why? Because he's been set aside for a purpose of directing the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. That's what he does. And since now we are dealing with an infectious disease unlike one we've seen at least in my lifetime, his name is known because we want to hear what he has to say. Both of them have been set aside for very specific and special tasks. God says, though, that a believer is sanctified, that you have been set aside. And there are at least two specific things mentioned that you are to be a part of. You're set aside for obedience to Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Now, so many people, I'm afraid, believe that being a Christian and being saved is just about praying a prayer and getting baptized, and that's all. Here is what is true. Only faith in Jesus saves you. You cannot save yourself. Only the grace of God can save you. And it is your faith in Jesus Christ that enters you into his grace. However, listen to what Jesus said in John 3. He said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Look at what Jesus did. Jesus had obedience here with genuine faith. It is not that obedience saves you, but if you are not obedient to God, it brings to light the fact that your faith was not genuine, it was not real. A person who truly understands the grace that Jesus has poured on you by forgiving you of sins is motivated by the Spirit of God to obey Jesus. If there is no desire to obey, then you have to question, have I been saved? You're not going to be perfect, and that's not what this says, but a life of genuine faith is a life that is characterized by obedience to Jesus Christ. God's plan for every believer is obedience. But that's not all. What else does God have a plan for you as a believer? Well, we read, read a few moments ago that a believer is to be sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. I mean, what does that mean? Well, in 1 John 1, 7, it can shed some light on it for us when we read this. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Well, what does the blood of Jesus do? It cleanses us from sin. And God's plan for a believer is that they be cleansed. This point again to the fact that our hope is in the blood of Jesus. The fact that Jesus died for sin says that we can be forgiven and we can be given eternal life. However, similar to what I just said about obedience, we should never think that once you pray a prayer and receive God's forgiveness, it means you're done. God's plan is that a believer would let the blood of Jesus change you and cleanse you from sin. I wish I could say that I woke up this morning and there was no temptation in my life to sin, but that's not the case. In fact, every day I wake up, I realize that I'm in a battle. Every day I'm going to face temptation of one kind or another. The good news, though, for me as a believer and for you as a believer is that when you walk with Christ and you allow the blood of Jesus to cleanse you, there are some things that are not a battle anymore. There are some things that though you may still be a temptation, at least for me, I can say easily as I face those, no, I'm not going to do that. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ has sprinkled me and cleansed me from that. And every believer should understand that that is a part of the Christian life, letting the blood of Christ work so that you are becoming like him, being cleansed daily from your sin and living for Jesus. Now, the other aspect of this sprinkling is knowing that when you do sin, and we all do in various ways, you can confess that sin of Jesus and know that he will continue to cleanse you. In this way, life doesn't become overwhelmed with guilt. This is important because the guilt of sin has its own way of paralyzing a believer and rendering them useless for God. If you are a believer, though, you don't need to be overwhelmed with your sin because the blood of Jesus cleanses you. I pray today that you will continually let the blood of Jesus work in your life. It is God's plan. And so, as Peter starts, we are reminded that God has a plan for our lives to be obedient, to be cleansed by the blood of Christ. But there's something else we need to see, which is this. That God has also given us a hope. It is interesting that after Peter talked about this plan that God has for us, he then says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Uh, these words first acknowledge that grace and peace are found in the Lord. It is also, though, a reminder to us that we long for grace and peace and need them multiplied in our lives every day. I imagine every one of us would agree with that statement, especially in the times we currently live, would we not? In fact, if we were here gathering in this room together, I would ask you to raise your hand if you needed grace and peace or say amen to that if you needed grace and peace. And so if you're worshiping at home and you wanna raise your hand or you wanna say amen, that's okay because at least you can acknowledge that with your family that may be worshiping with you. But folks, here's the truth. We all need grace and peace. And it's interesting though that Peter, what Peter says next, look at verses three and five. He said, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, look when I look at those, what great verses of scripture to encourage us today and even remind us of where our grace and peace comes from. Peter mentions here, About God's great mercy. Do you really understand how merciful God is? I know right now, as we 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 feel like we are suffering because of the coronavirus. Some know the suffering more than others because they've lost a loved one due to the deadly virus. But what I want us all to understand is that if God gave us what we deserve, we would suffer much more than we are now. And it wouldn't be for a period of time, it would be for our whole lives. But that is not God, He is merciful. And because he is so merciful, Peter reminds us that we have been born into a living hope. Think about what hope is. Hope is that thing that you look forward to. It's that thing that gets you through any difficulty that you may be facing. Hope says everything will be worth it on the other side. Hope says everything is going to be okay. And what you place your hope in makes all the difference. You know, our problem is often this, that we put our hope in the wrong things. If you place your hope in getting the promotion or put your hope in finding the perfect relationship or your, your hope in that you'll never get sick or your hope in having that ideal home or your hope in everything, everyone liking you or, or your hope, in, you know, whatever you place your hope in, if you put it in all those things, you can often become disillusioned when they don't become a reality. Here's what we do. You often give into despair when the doctor gives you the bad prognosis. You become bitter with all people when your relationships turn sour. You get depressed when you don't get the promotion. You see, if your hope is in those things that are not certain, hope can get crushed and grace and peace can seem to disappear. But notice what Peter said though. He said, we have been born into a living hope. It's not just any hope, it is a hope that is alive. It is a hope that Peter said came through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, last week we celebrated Easter. We celebrated Jesus' resurrection. Here's what we need to remember, that Jesus' resurrection means he is alive and well today. Easter is not about one day, Easter is about every day. Because Jesus resurrected, there is hope for every day. Not only hope for today, but hope for tomorrow, and hope for every day thereafter, even into eternity. You see, the hope that Jesus brings is a hope that tells us that the best is still to come. And there is an inheritance that is awaiting all believers that is a sure thing. And that should bring us peace. In fact, notice the description of what's promised to a believers in verse four. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You know what God has promised to his people is sure and it's permanent. What the current pandemic has shown us is that the things that people typically put their hope in are uncertain. In fact, how many of you are certain today that you will have your job in two months, that you'll have your job in four months? I'm not certain. How many are certain you will have your health tomorrow, next week, two months from now? I'm not. How many of you are sure that people will like you in the days ahead? I'm not, because my guess is there are going to be many disagreements on how we come out of this uh, pandemic, and there are going to be some people that don't like the way we choose to come out of it. What about your relationships? You know, some of you are finding it hard in this time with your relationships, and you're wondering, are they they going to make it? How's your retirement account faring? Is it going to make it? Is your bank account going to be depleted? I, I could go on, but what we've learned is that none of the things that we typically put our hope in are sure things. That is why we need something that is a sure thing, a hope that we can rely on. And that hope is Jesus Christ who says, I have a future for you that is sure. What I know beyond a shadow of a doubt is this, is that no matter what life holds, I have a wonderful future in store. Jesus has stored up for me an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It is kept in heaven for for me and for every believer. Guess what, folks? There is no COVID-19 in heaven to worry about. Praise the Lord, right? All right, just perfection there. Knowing what is in the future should get hope to every believer, even in the present, and it should give you perfect peace. That really takes me to the next point I wanna see, which is this. Uh, Jesus gives a hope that should transform your trials. All right, a hope in Jesus should transform your trials. Right over Peter speaks about this living hope. He goes on to say some words that are real practical for us in the present. The next two things, in fact, that I'm going to say should really speak to everyone who is listening, who is a believer in Jesus Christ. Look at what Peter writes next. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter says, because of the hope that you have in Jesus Christ... You should be able to rejoice in the midst of trials. Yes, even in the midst of a pandemic, a believer should have hope. A believer should be able to rejoice because you know what is coming someday. You know, those Peter that was writing to were not facing a pandemic. They were most likely facing persecution for their faith. Some had even been driven, like I said a while ago, from their homeland because of their faith. That was their trial. Peter didn't say you just rejoice in certain trials. He said you can rejoice when grieved by various trials. Because folks, when we get through the pandemic, we can know this. There are other trials on the horizon. But whatever trial comes your way, you should be able to face it with hope and rejoice in that hope. Because a believer is victorious in the end. In fact, let me give you a little analogy that maybe will help help you see what I'm talking about. You know, just before this social distancing and quarantine happened, the University of Kentucky played their last basketball game of the season on a Saturday at the University of Florida. Now, going into that game, fans didn't know what to expect. A week earlier, they had blown a 17-point lead against Tennessee, which was devastating, but they had been playing great up to that point. However, on Florida, against Florida that day, there was uncertainty that started when Ashton Hagans, their starting point guard, didn't even make the trip. All right, he didn't make it for uncertain reasons, and we were wondering what was going on. That made the fans a little unsettled. To top it off, as the game went on, foul trouble began to play a huge role. with even the current team leader, Emmanuel quickly getting fouled out early and the team facing an 18-point deficit with about 10 minutes to go in the game. I mean, things didn't look good. Now, for me, I wasn't watching the game. I was performing my nephew's wedding as the game was going on. I did, however, record it for later viewing. With that said, I had heard during the wedding because these things happened to get around that that there was a terrible score going on in the game and so things didn't look for Kentucky. But as the ceremony was wrapping up, the pictures were being finished taken, I heard the news of this improbable comeback and that Kentucky could possibly even win. And so I had time to go into the office, turn on the TV, for Florida's last attempt to win the game, that last second shot to possibly win. However, we know that failed and Kentucky won the game. Now, when I got home later that day, this is what I did. I sat down to watch the game. Now, as I was watching that game being recorded, Kentucky got down by the 18 points, quickly had gotten to foul trouble. And if I'd been watching that game live, let me tell you what I would have probably done at that moment. I would have looked and said, I might as well go do something else. This is horrible, there's no hope, and I'd probably found something else to do. I would've probably said, this is miserable to watch and then I would've stopped. However, because I knew the end of the game, in that moment when things looked so bleak, this is what I did. I sat back on the couch, I reclined and said, I'm feeling pretty good about things. I really believe we can come back and win that game. And so I continued to watch the game until we got to the end. I watched it with a positive attitude and then until I could celebrate Kentucky's improbable win. You see, here's what Peter is telling us, all right? The fact that we know the end should make all the difference in the world. It makes the way we view things in our current circumstances different because no matter how bleak things look in the present, folks, listen, we are victorious in the end. Now, before I move on, let me remind you that this doesn't mean that you never feel pain or that you are never sad or that you never cry. Those things are okay, they are natural. But the difference for a Christian is that even if you are feeling deep pain and sorrow, you can at the same time experience great joy because of what is coming. In fact, I did a funeral yesterday, obviously different than normal because of our times and the need to social distance. But in that moment, there is a family grieving as they should. And sometimes in that moment, I tell family, it's okay, you should grieve. But at the same time, I tell them there is hope. It is why the Apostle Paul wrote in regards to death of believers in 1 Corinthians 4.13, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Paul didn't say you don't grieve, but a believer doesn't grieve as or like others who have no hope. Our grief is different because it is filled with the hope of heaven, the hope of eternal life, perfect peace and joy with God. And when you have hope in Jesus, it should transform your trials. Believers today in the midst of the pandemic, look to God. He is the one who can provide you hope. If you are listening today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, I would love to help you know him so that you can have hope as well. With that said, though, I'm reminded of one other thing that these next words from Peter will show us. Let's read again, starting back in verse seven. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let me state what Peter wrote this way. Your trials reveal whether you trust in God or not. Peter made it plain that our trials test the genuineness of our faith. They are checked to see do we trust God or not. I shared a few weeks ago how Christians in time of crisis, including pandemics, have always been on the front lines to help. Why? Because we have a hope. Christians are not reckless. They take precautions, but at the same time, they they do not run when needed. Why? Because the hope we have is not about the comforts of this world. The hope that we have rests on what we know is to come. And again, let me point out that there will be times when the pandemic will pass. Most likely, there will be a vaccination that is is created We will treat this much like the flu in the future. But you know what? There will be other trials. Many other trials will not be trials of worldwide proportions or even natural proportions or national proportions. They will not even be community-wide. Most of the trials we face will be individual trials. It will be the trial of going to the doctor and getting the bad report. It will be the trial of a broken relationship. It will be the trial of a job lost or never received. It will be the trial of a job law or of a broken, the trust of a broken friend. It will be the trial of financial hardship. We could go on this morning, but whatever that trial looks like in your life, it will be an opportunity for you to look at your faith and your faith to be on display where you ultimately answer this question. Do I put my trust in Christ? Who do I put my trust in? There is only one worthy of your ultimate trust and that is Jesus Christ. Your trial, in fact, will show you whether you love God or not and if not, it is a call to love him, to begin to trust in him. Look again at verses eight and nine to see how your attitude should be in the midst of trials. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. In other words, your attitude should be of love toward Jesus. I will mention similarly to a few moments ago that loving him doesn't mean at times there will not be questions. There will be times where you might even have a little anger at God. But if you truly love him, you will come back to joy joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Let me say this. What we should do is always view everything in life through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we do, we will constantly be reminded of his love, his love that is even sure in times of trouble. And we will constantly be reminded of the victory over death, which ultimately means, listen, his victory over our trials. If you think you could never have this attitude and you could never do this, I, I, I would like to remind you of something, of Peter who wrote this letter. Remember, this, this is the same Peter who was one who felt such fear that he denied Jesus. This is also the same Peter who was hopeless and had so much hopelessness and despair that he was hiding with the other disciples after Jesus' death. But this is the, also the same Peter who, having experienced the resurrected Jesus, went on to speak boldly in front of authorities who would have had him arrested. This is the Peter who wrote these words to rejoice in trials. And what changed? The resurrected Jesus. Once Peter had encountered the resurrected of Jesus Christ, he understood the truth of who he was and what it meant, and it changed his attitude of way he viewed everything. And what we have looked at this morning leads me to ask you this question. Have you encountered the risen Jesus? If so, I know he has a plan for your life and I pray that you're being sanctified, that you're being obedient to the Lord and that you are continually being sprinkled by his blood. I also pray today that you understand that he has a living hope for you and that living hope is Jesus Christ. And because of that living hope, there is no need to despair. If you know that hope, I pray that you're letting that hope transform your view of the pandemic and every other trial that you face because in Jesus, there is always hope. And I know that that hope, listen, that that, that, that if you you look at that hope and turn to Christ, that this trial will be an opportunity to prove that your faith is genuine and let others see the joy that is in your life in the midst of this trial and you will glorify God with your life. And in fact, as I kind of mentioned earlier, here's what's gonna happen. This trial will mean glory to God because of the way Christians shine for God. And in fact, it will help bring people to God for the glory of God. Now today, if you're listening, and you don't have this hope, if you have never given your life to the resurrected Jesus, my prayer for you is that you would come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus died for your sin, he resurrected to prove that he could forgive you and give you eternal life in the here and now and for all eternity in heaven someday. And what Jesus is waiting for you is for you to come to him, confess your sin, Accept him as your savior and commit your life to him. If you do, he is ready to give you that living hope, that living hope that will transform even the way you view these present trials. If today you need that hope, listen, we would love to speak with you. You can email any of the staff and you can find those email addresses on our website at vcbc.org or you can text us by the number listed on the screen or even call us at our regular church number that is also is listed there. Any of those ways you contact us because we wanna to talk to you about how you can give your life to Jesus Christ or maybe today you're even one of those believers struggling to remember the hope that you have in Christ. We would even love to speak with you, to give you a word of encouragement, to pray with you and help you through these trials. But here's what I'm thankful for. We have a living hope in Jesus. And if you know that living hope, we can even rejoice in the sufferings that we're facing. So let's look to Jesus today, who is our living hope. Would you pray with me, our Father? We bow into your presence today and thank you for this living hope. We thank you that Peter himself experienced it firsthand, experienced the resurrected Christ. And we can look even in the scriptures and see how his life changed because he experienced this resurrected Lord. But Father, we know today he proclaimed that to others and others came to know that hope. And even today we have his word written that was inspired by you so that we too can come into that living hope. And my prayer is today that all would know the truth of Jesus and all today would know the hope that he gives and the peace and the joy that can come by walking in that hope. And so bless those who are listening today. For those that know you, may they look to you and let this time be transformed by knowing that we are victorious in the end, that in the end, listen, we are overcomers. Father, let us all who know you have that view and let this child be colored by the resurrection of Christ. And if there's some here today that don't know you, though, my prayer is that today would be the day they give their life to Jesus the source of living hope. So speak to us, Father, even as we continue to worship together. Lord, speak to us in these moments, I pray. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.